Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. And good day, my friends, and welcome to yet another episode of Everyday Truth. So uh, glad that you have made this a part of your daily schedule, uh, whether you're listening in the car or watching uh, online. However you listen, uh, I do appreciate your love for the Bible and your desire to grow in grace. And we're looking forward to jumping right back into the letter that Jesus uh, gave to the church at Pergamos. So I told you last episode that we would talk a little bit about Pergamos. Uh, Pergamos is, of course, one of the cities of Asia Minor, sometimes called Asia the Less. Uh, and it was the capital. It was the, it was the chief city. Not necessarily the biggest city, like sometimes our state capitals aren't always the biggest uh, city in the state, uh, but uh, a significant city. And Pergamos was known as a religious center. Uh, the worship of false gods like, like Zeus, Asclepios. You say, who was Asclepios? Asclepios was the god of knowledge and healing, and it was a god that took the form of a snake. So have you ever seen the symbol for the medical community? Even today, it has a snake. Ever wonder why it's a snake? Because that's Asclepios, uh, healing and knowledge healing and knowledge. So that should make you nervous the next time you go to the doctor. Uh, but in, in, in Pergamos, uh, people would actually go there for healing and they would allow them to stay in the temple overnight in complete darkness. And the temple was filled with snakes. I think there's a place in Thailand today that that's kind of like that. Uh, and this, the snakes were not poisonous, but you would lay on the, the floor of that temple. And then if a snake kind of crawled over you at night, then they viewed that as God touching you with a healing touch and you would be healed. No way. <laughs> There's no way. I would rather die of whatever my disease was than to go into a temple in the middle of the dark and be crawled over with snakes. But uh, such is false religion. So uh, Pergamos was a religious center. It was a political center. Uh, and it was also known for the worship of the emperor. So even long before uh, the church at Smyrna had erected a temple to Tiberius Caesar, so the people of Pergamos had erected a temple to Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus, uh, who was the first Caesar. Uh, to take the name Caesar after Julius Caesar, of course, uh, as one of the emperors of Rome. So uh, this was a this was a dark place. Uh, Pergamos was, and a very difficult place for uh, any Christian to live. That's why Jesus says in verse number eleven, verse number twelve, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. So you might look at the Roman soldiers, you might look at this Roman capital enclave in Asia Minor, and you might erroneously think that Rome has the power. You might think that Rome has the weaponry. You might think that Rome is the one that can do the damage. But I'm here to tell you that I am the one with the sharp two-edged sword. 
I think I said last episode that uh, the Bible is often referred to in the sense of a weapon or a sword. I think about Hebrews chapter 4, where the Bible says that the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So think about that. In Hebrews 4, the context is the high priest. And the high priest would take a sharp sword when he would offer animals for sacrifice, and he would separate the the, the body of that carcass and open it up. All things are naked and open unto him with whom we have to do. That's what the Bible says in that same passage. So when the priest would examine a sacrificial lamb, for instance, it had to be spotless. But what if that priest then were to take that sword and open up that lamb and look on the inside? What if that lamb on the outside were spotless, but on the inside were full of disease? Would that lamb then be eligible for sacrifice? Of course not, because it, w- it would have been compromised by that, that spotting. So the point is, the Word of God not only helps us to see our outside, but the Word of God helps us to see our inside. It, it, it's like the high priest. It opens us up and shows us the, the, the thoughts, that's the inside, the intents, that's the motivations of our heart. So the Word of God is that powerful. And Jesus comes to the church at Pergamos as the bearer of the sword of the Word of God. Look at verse number 12, uh, verse number 13, rather. I know thy works. So again, he said that to the church at Ephesus. He said that to the church at Smyrna. He says it to the church at Pergamos. I know what you do and where thou dwellest. I know where you live. I know what situation you're in. I know the circumstances that that press on you. And the Bible says, even where Satan's seat is. So a seat here refers to a, a seat of authority. Uh, like a throne, a, a, a position of honor. So what did the people of Pergamos see every day? They saw their capital. Uh, the capital of that whole region was Pergamos. The capital of Asia Minor was Pergamos. So they saw the capital house. Uh, they saw the, the official rulers that walked through the streets. Uh, they saw those thrones or those seats of authority. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, listen, I I know where you live. I know how hard it is. And I know that Satan is the one ultimately that's in charge. So remember, he said the same thing to Smyrna. He said, it's the devil that's trying you. It's Satan's seat there in Pergamos. What, What does Jesus do? Jesus frames for us who the real enemy is. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we think it's the governor or that president. I didn't vote for him or that uh, that rogue Supreme Court justice or that. No, that the real enemy always has been the prince of the power of the air, the world, the flesh and the devil. These are the enemies of the believer. So Jesus says, I know where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name. And I love that. So Jesus said, here's what I know about you, people of Pergamos. 
You are standing true to your identity in Christ. You're holding fast to my name. You're living for my glory. Uh, you're living uh, for my reputation. The, the name of somebody in the Bible would signify that for which a person was known. Uh, that the, the identity in which a person found himself. So you're living for me and for my name and for my cause and for my reputation. You hold fast to my name and thou, hast not, and thou hast not denied my faith. I love that. The faith you have is the Lord's faith. We believe uh, what Jesus has taught us and the truth that he has given us. And the Bible says, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, listen, what you're standing for is what I have given you. It's my faith. It's my name. But then he also gives them a great human example from among them, somebody that had died a martyr's death, this man by the name of Antipas, uh, a martyr. Now, what do we know about Antipas? Really nothing. I mean, there's some legends and there's some stories that I, I could tell you, but, but there's nothing definitive. All we know is what the Bible says here. And that is that Antipas was a member of the church at Pergamos. He was a martyr. The word martyr means he was a faithful witness. He believed in Jesus. He believed in the name of Jesus. He had the faith of Jesus. He was unwilling to compromise that. And because of that, he died. He died for his faith. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, take a stand for me. Take a stand for my faith and my name, but also follow the footsteps of other faithful ones from among you who have done the exact same. So Jesus is honoring those who it might appear had wasted their life. Like, oh man, Antipas stood for God and it got him killed. Oh, I'm not going to stand for God. I'm going to get killed. And Jesus is saying, no, in light of eternity, that's the kind of example that is worthy to follow. It's what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's what Paul said to the Philippians. Mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Identify people around you, among you, who stand for Christ, who do not waver in their faith, and follow them in the same way that they follow Christ. So Jesus is, is giving us good examples here in this person, Antipas. Look at verse number 14, uh, where the Bible says, But I have a few things against thee. So this was a great church. This was a church that was standing. They were faithful. Uh, it was tough where they were. They had some really good examples that had gone on before them, like Antipas. And yet there were some things in which they were slipping, some ways by which their faith was being compromised. And Jesus said, okay, here are a few things that I want to highlight to you specifically. So let's, let's jump in. We might not get to all of them, but look at verse 14. So I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So 
Remember uh, in the Old Testament how the children of Israel on their way to the promised land, right at the end, at the end of their wilderness wanderings, they came to the land of Moab. Moab was led by a king by the name of Balak. And Balak hired a prophet by the name of Balaam to curse God's people. But remember, God would not allow Balaam to curse God's people. And instead, he made Balaam actually use words of blessing to God's people. Um, remember that Balaam's donkey, that whole story, it's an amazing story. And Balak was so mad. I mean, he paid good money for Balaam to curse God's people and he blessed God's people. But here's what Balaam did then. Balaam said, okay, God wouldn't allow me to uh, utter a curse upon his people, but I'll tell you, Balak, what you do. What you do is get them to compromise in the area of idolatry and specifically in the area of immorality. Get your daughters to marry their sons and it'll take a while longer, but in so doing, you will ruin the next generation and you will mitigate the influence of God's people by getting them involved in idolatry and immorality. Now, I'm, I'm not telling that story as as carefully as I should. So I would just say, go back and read the story if you want yourself in the book of Numbers. The point here is this, that the doctrine of Balaam is the doctrine that, hey, believe the right things. Uh, go ahead and, and dot all your I's and cross all your T's and know all your doctrine and believe on Jesus and all of that. But it's okay to also participate in idolatry. It's okay to eat this meat. It's okay to, to commit fornication. I mean, fornication was so accepted in that society. And there were huge temples in Pergamos that just celebrated a free sexual revolution lifestyle. And so it's okay to live just like society around you. It's okay to participate in society's sins. As long as you have the right theology, don't worry about it. And so what Jesus was telling this church is don't buy into that. No, you are expected to live lives that, uh, that are not full of idolatry and immorality. Uh, you're just like your forefathers years and years and years and years ago. It, you might believe the right things. You might worship the right God. But if you're compromising in these areas, you're doomed. So it's a warning against a church that is cozying up to the world around them. Boy, I have a whole lot more to say about that, but uh, I don't have the time right now to, to dive into it. So we're going to come right back here. So hold your place here in Revelation chapter two. We'll come right back here and I'll see you next episode. Hey, God bless you, my friends. Have a great day in the Lord. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.